to All in All, finding the mind-blowing moments in the everyday chaos storm of life. Hey, thanks for coming back to All in All. It's me, Kate Landis, and today we're here with Haki Kristen, my friend who lives down in Sydney, Australia. Haki has edited books and newspapers and all kinds of articles, but during the pandemic, he became a Shakespearean actor and he got really involved in the theater scene in Sydney, especially around Shakespeare. Wonder why uh, Shakespeare is bigger during the pandemic? When when the pandemic began, everyone was, you know, I mean, everyone was in lockdown. Sydney, we were all locked down. Um, so you had all these people, many of whom long time professional careers, but really earning their living as artists oh, mm -hmm. uh, who were just stuck out of work, figuring out, trying to figure out what to do with themselves like everyone else. Yeah. And so a woman here in Sydney named Holly Champion uh, decided to found a company called Streamed Shakespeare. Streamed is in live stream. And I caught wind of it. They were doing what they were doing was that it's all it was always right from the start. It was Zoom based. Uh, so what you did was it was performances of Shakespeare's plays live streamed over Facebook and YouTube. I mean, Shakespeare knew plagues, right? I mean, you know, his life was impacted by plagues. And uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, I was reading a book like if you walked to get to the Globe Theater, you walked through just the horrible parts of town didn't necessarily smell too good and the whole right. bit. So he's, his life was actually very much shaped by plagues, really. Over at Seattle Shakespeare, we saw Becoming Othello, A Black Girl's Journey, just really incredible production um, about a black woman, um, Deborah Ann Bird, who did, a, did it as a solo show, and the walls she hits trying to do classical theater as a black woman. She talked about that, you know, Shakespeare's world was really multicultural. We're I know, black yeah, right. Yeah, there were black people doing costuming for the Globe Theater, and there were black yeah. actors at the Globe Theater, and that was a, a multicultural neighborhood. It's really wild. Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, it was where the quote unquote the people were poor, and there were yeah. a lot of prostitutes and all that stuff. Yeah, and actors were considered low class people. That was well, like prostitutes, right? I mean, it wasn't. As yeah, they were. They were. Right? It held at that level. Actor, that's, dancer, that's right. prostitute, right? Yeah, yeah. That's no, not exactly that's what right. your mom wanted you to grow up to be, right? Yeah, that's exactly you're exactly right. So yeah, he. It was you know, and that that one of the triumphs of his work is uh, that the Globe Theater had all the social strata there. You know, you had the folks who were on the ground, who were the groundlings, they were yeah. the lower class folks, and then up in the boxes were even royalty sometime. And he, that was oh, everyone, wow. I everyone, didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. He, everyone related to his, uh, the all the social strata related right. to his work. And he showed all the social strata. I mean, there were, yeah. there were slaves, there were workers, there were nobles, there was royalty. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's I mean, right. sort of, that's one of his favorite themes is to sort of play around with, you know, the nobles aren't smarter than we are as regular people, kind of. They're human beings. <laughs> God, that's right. great. They're just as messed up as the rest of yeah, us. Yeah, they're human beings. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I got to go to the Globe, Shakespeare's rebuilt theater um, in England with my mom, and we wanted this really authentic experience. So we got groundling tickets, which is standing tickets under the open sky. 
we weren't thinking about how long Shakespeare plays are. And it yeah. just dumped rain the entire time. <laughs> just dumped, <laughs> just dumped rain on us. And I, you know, I just thought like, well, you know, authenticity is just overrated. Like, can we, nah, like, uh, we, uh, we put an umbrella up because like you didn't want to block everybody's view. So I mean, we're just, just dredged. It was, it was memorable. I'll say that. That is very much. When yeah. they did the pop-up globe here in Sydney, uh, I saw two shows. I saw um, uh, Macbeth. I saw A Comedy of Errors. Oh, that's They were also doing, yeah. yeah. Now they also were doing A Midsummer Night's Dream, but I had only a year, not even a full year earlier, been in a production. I'd played Theseus and Oberon in oh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. And I just I just didn't want to I didn't want to see it. <laughs> no, I hear you. But, I mean, it gets um, but, to the point where you're I mean, you you hear the language in your sleep, like when you're in these productions, you know? Yeah. No, I, I the, the, a Midsummer Night's Dream, that was actually a life changing thing. I mean, I oh, guess yeah. when the theme of like awe, inspiring stuff, that production was, I thought, beautiful. That committed me to drama. Oh, interesting. It yeah. I was like, I'm going to do this in some way, shape or form for the rest of my life. It came about because I had, uh, but at that point, that was 2018. I had done a few things. I wasn't a complete beginner anymore. Uh, but I said I wanted to learn more about Shakespeare from the performance standpoint. And I was planning on taking a course at a place called the Actors Center Australia, where I'd done some things before and had good experiences. But I saw that this place, the Guild Theater, where I'd never done anything, it was right up the road from me, was doing a Midsummer Night's Dream. So I said, well, let me see if I could- Might as well try it out, that. right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. I got a bit lucky because none of the, Susan wanted someone who was tall and she was saying none of the guys who had expressed an interest were tall. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So that's, <laughs> that's right. So it's always it's always about what they're looking for. More that's more right. Um, and if so, yeah. men if men wore high heels, your life might be very different now. I that's mean, true. you would have just put somebody else in heels, maybe. Who knows? Or lifts. Have you ever seen like the old school lifts? Have you seen what so. they did? No. So it's like they literally took a pair of shoes, like a men's casual or dress shoe. Broke. Yeah. And yeah, right. And taped wrapped tape around the shoe and added like a stack oh, of levels to it. Bottom of it. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a, <laughs> it was crazy. Yes. I saw a, a picture. I had never seen them before. I, it was, it's not too long. I saw a picture. I think it was Humphrey Bogart. He's just oh. relaxing on the set. Uh, and I guess um, uh, Bacall, Lauren Bacall, yeah, I guess was, she was tall. taller than, than, than him. Yeah. So he, that's, and that's what they did. I was like, wow. Oh, <laughs> the lengths yeah. of Bojo, right? That's right. Yeah, but yeah, so that just worked out, and I mean, just amazing, amazing yeah. experience. Absolutely loved it. But there was so much of that time that I was in the moment, um, and and really in that place where every time, you know, every night when I had to go to the theater, just really happy. I would come into the building singing. Oh, oh, uh, so so cool. my castmates began to recognize that. And then I got <laughs> here. here comes Hucky. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Not just whistling, but full out. That's singing. right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It is wild how tight those casts get. I mean, you're, you know, what, six weeks of rehearsal or four weeks of rehearsal almost every day. Yeah. And then. And then suddenly you're done and you've got to catch up on your bills and your laundry and you can't hang out with these yep. every day. You have to yep. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually, 
yes, it can be a bit of a come down. Yeah. It really oh, can be a bit, a bit of a come down. Uh, and like I, I talk about, because like things don't, like they don't waste time. When your show is on, especially if you're like the lead in the show, when your show is on, it's all about you. The house belongs to you all. Uh, you know, you walk out and if it's going well, you get real, people recognize you yeah. and they say nice things to you and all sure. this other stuff. You get so much attention. The reviews come in and it's everything and it's all. And then the night closes, you have a rap party. The very next day, they start taking down the, the whole set. Thing's over. Yep. The whole thing. The marquee comes down so fast. So you, so, <laughs> so it can really be a bit of a come down. Although, if you're you're if, if I guess the good thing about it though is if your head gets too big, that's brings you right back down. Right back her. down. I mean, it right. reminds me of Buddhism, right? Like this, everything's always changing. Nothing is permanent. Yeah. You know yeah. the. One day the set is stunning and beautiful in the center of attention, and the next day it's in the dumpster out back. <laughs> you know? Right, very true. Or in in community and amateur theater, it's getting turned into something else. Right, we're painting yeah, over it. So we use things over and over and over again. Absolutely. Yeah. Or right, Caesar's castle is Caesar's house is now you know the house and fiddler on the roof or whatever. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The show must go on. Yeah. Would you say there's a, a Shakespeare production or a play that that always is pretty mind blowing to you that again and again you come back to and just go, wow? I love Henry the Fourth Part One. You do? Yeah. I really love Henry the Fourth Part One. Why? The father son relationship and the speeches that bear that out. Yeah. They're just so good. And I found that really, really interesting because then you got this guy who hung out in bars and brothels and with this right. uh, fat old man who was always drunk and ragtag friends, uh, yeah, right, and all these ragtag friends. And then that's the guy that saves England from the French, right? I mean, it's wild. I just really love the Tempest. I'm obsessed with that father-son relationship. In this case, father-daughter relationship with Miranda. The contrast between who parents want their kids to be and who kids want to be as they grow up. And that certainly comes up so much in Shakespeare. Richard III with his mother. Um, God, I mean, on, it goes on. King Lear with the King Lear. Like, yes. you know, wants the perfect daughters and Romeo and yes. Juliet. And, right. Yeah. Right. Goes on and on. That's yeah. Right. I, I would love to know what Shakespeare's parents thought about all these plays, but <laughs> <laughs> in the theater going like, have to you have to talk about business in here yeah right <laughs> yeah so when do you think you had your what's your first memory of sort of having your mind blown or seeing something that was really like just so wonderful you it really took you out of time and place do you have a chance That's yeah. look i know one early thing was uh seeing like real mountains for the first time oh interesting yeah well i grew up where the earth is extremely flat. Um, <laughs> so, Southeast Virginia is um, really, really, really flat land. It's all and it's all at sea level. Yeah. Um, one of the the uh, the first landfill projects, I think, in the country, was a thing called Mount Rushmore hmm. in Virginia Beach. Okay. Uh, which is uh, they put a hard cap on a pile on a, uh, as the name suggests, a giant pile of trash. Yeah. And they turned it into a recreational facility. They called it Mount Trashmore. Um, <laughs> so um, did they really that, call that, it that, or did they call so it? They called it Mount. You can look at it. Oh, that's hilarious. It was Mount yeah. Trashmore. 
one of the things that definitely took my breath away is actually in Washington State, Mount Rainier. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. There, I had never been anywhere in the world where you could see a mountain like that just looking like it's etched in the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, by like like someone had carved it in glass or something. And that was an awe-inspiring sight. That's such a great phrase, etched in the sky, because it really does look like that. You know, you're a you're a creative writer, editor guy. Is there a book from childhood that really got you excited about literature? There was an old book publisher called Moby Books. Okay. And what they did, I didn't read um I, I didn't realize this at the time. What they did was they they made sort of abridged versions of classics. Oh, okay. Yeah, like a reader's um, digest thing. Yeah. yeah, and and a little bit simplified sometimes. The idea is that kids could read them, like if you're 10 or 12. Okay, so like geared and, at middle schoolers, yeah. Yeah, and I got my hands on, somehow I got my, hand, my hands on a copy of the Moby Books version of Robinson Crusoe. Oh, that is a great and I must have read that book like 20 times. Yeah. Yeah. I hear <laughs> so that. So it was that. I the mean, other thing. An adventure, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was so wild. And I loved like the idea of the way the stories about how he's making things for himself and yeah. just figuring out how to spy. It was just a great story. Great story. Absolutely. Really loved creative. It. Absolutely. Yep. Nothing scared to me. I read a ton, a ton. Um, was uh, a book of mythology. I think it was called Aeschylus, Aeschylus' Book of Greek Myths. Hmm. I read that one over and over and over and over again. It kept it for years until the cover was blown out and all that. I wonder what appealed to you about that. Well, I mean, I've always, and I guess this was the genesis of it, I've always loved good storytelling. Probably why I went into a communications field and, and, and English and all that. I just... Yeah. Um, great stories are they're just so much fun they take you away to another time and place it really feeds your imagination um, they tell you some things about yourself those the Greek myths were just they were always so much fun they had because they were sometimes morality tales but they also had the the Greek the gods the Greek gods were very human uh, they yeah. worked they got uh, jealous and yeah. that's right and Angry. so all of that stuff was yeah it was great do you feel like there have been experiences that like sort of everyone around you was like, that's incredible. Or, um, and then you were kind of, meh, it's fine. Oh, Hamlet. Hamlet. Like Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, I think it's, it says one of the most performed in the English language. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is probably the one really famous Shakespeare play that just does not do it for me. Wow, it's Hamlet. it's yeah, yeah. There's fun. There's great father son. Father yeah, uncle. yeah. There's all of that. I just for whatever reason it just doesn't grab me. I'm not even really sure why. I always feel a little annoyed at Ophelia. Like I just wish she had a couple of girlfriends to take her out dancing and say like, let's forget about this guy. You know, right. <laughs> she didn't yeah. die. That that was a that was a that was a little much. <laughs> there's, see, there's a scene like that. Probably of all the like like girlfriends scenes, yeah, in Shakespeare, uh, there's a really good one at the end of Othello, which I'm directing now. Uh, it, towards the end, Emilia and uh, Desdemona are there. It's after Othello has ordered her up to the bedroom, and she's actually really sort of 
feels like Desdemona is sort of resigning herself to die, actually. Amelia talks about, you know, what men are like and and it's um So she doesn't she doesn't do it though. I mean Desdemona is still like, all right, well, let's get this over with. She still is very submissive when her husband shows up. That's one of the things that I've been working with working with on this show. I don't um I don't want to try to I didn't want to try to figure out some kind of way to shoehorn it so that she was all of a sudden just in no way uh you know she was defiant all the way to the end of whatever because I just it didn't make sense that's not due to the thing but I wanted a, a I, I want I mean this is something we're working on now we're not we're not on stage yet yeah. you know but I want I made Desdemona she's in her 30s she's not a 20 yeah. year old kid yeah um so, and I wanted her to be someone who has agency and is used to having agency and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And sort of when you get into that, it looks like, I mean, it all falls apart so rapidly from them being so much in love and all that in this hey. in that play that it, you, I, I felt like you almost you needed to look at like almost like a split personality, a real crisis for Desdemona trying to figure out what the heck happened. Yeah, yeah. We looked at it that way. Oh, nice. And we are looking at it. That you way. are currently. Where are you directing that? The play is going to be, it's for Stream Shakespeare. This will be our first physical show. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, first, that wasn't a virtual show on Zoom. It's gonna be at, yeah, it's going to be at the Leichhardt Uniting Church. Leichhardt is uh, a suburb here in Sydney. It's, it, 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 they don't really use the term Little Italy here, but if uh-huh. they did, that's probably what they would call Leichhardt. And is there something about that play in particular that resonates for you now at this time? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Othello as the other due to his race and all of the stuff that he goes through and the way he himself has internalized some things and, uh, you know, just the way that what's in our minds can destroy something that's actually very beautiful how much these sort of ideas that people have about other people and other groups of people they they get in there lots of times in ways we don't we don't know how they got there if we if we honestly examine ourselves where did that idea come from why do i believe that if you actually look at it it doesn't make sense you don't you can't even pinpoint where and how it happened yeah uh but it could be there yeah, some of those ideas feel like they're almost in the water or in the air. Yeah. You know, they're so subconscious, yeah. so dug in. Right. There. The character we're doing, um, I've made the character an African-American. I didn't want to try to understand. I didn't want to try to pretend to understand Aboriginal culture in doing it. I think that would have been hollow. So I made the character an African-American playing basketball here in Sydney, a pro a pro basketball. There are players from the U.S. who are not quite good enough to make the NBA yeah. who come here and play. That happens all the time. What's the time and place that you're doing it in? Is it modern? The year 2000. Okay, so pre- you know, In Australia. Smartphones, pre-pandemic. Yes. Yeah. And was there a reason you picked 2000 rather than now? Um, everyone having a cell phone makes some of the things that happen very implausible. Isn't that so, wild? I know. Yeah, Cell phones yeah, are in a lot of things. Did you ever see that? Yeah, that's right. Spoof of the Blair Witch Project. Do you remember that old movie? I do. I, I the kids saw had it. cell phones, so it ended in like 30 seconds. Yeah. Like, I'm lost in oh, the woods. You could, oh, you're here. So I would bet if you look back at like every movie made, every play yeah. written before just you the era of ubiquitous mobile phones. Sure. 
Yeah. Um, like how many plots would just completely fall apart? Totally fall apart. Well, including <laughs> right? You know, yep. yeah, yeah. All the misunderstandings. Oh, just text yeah. it. Oh, it's all That's clear right. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the movie. Never mind. Right. That's yeah. right. No mistaken identity for you. Right. Are there things in your life that are reliably mind blowing that you know you can turn to when you need like some awe in your day? Some human stories that you hear about about people's resilience. I wonder sometimes, you know, you hear things and wonder sometimes whether that, you know, whether that would could ever be in me. I was just reading a book uh, about Ruby Bridges, the yeah. little girl who integrated Louisiana public schools. Yeah. Um, and just I hadn't realized. I mean, I knew the basic outline of the story, but I hadn't realized the. Um, how long the death threats lasted that um, oh, yeah. their yeah. black neighbors um, took turns guarding their house all night. So people wouldn't burn yeah. it down. Um, yeah. But every single day for years, she was threatened um, every day in school and on the way to school. And um, just the, I mean, first of all, it's heartbreaking that, you know, anybody thought that was an okay way to teach a child to treat a child. Um, yeah. But also like, good Lord, how did this, I mean, I would, I just feel like I would break down, you know, day two. Yeah. She just kept going. She kept learning. She loved to read stories, you know, Yeah. really, really held and supported by, she lived in an all black neighborhood, went to an all black church and those people were proud of her and supported her and her family. And her dad kept getting fired from jobs because she, because his daughter had integrated the schools and yeah. uh, so people from all over the country sent money to the family so they could keep afloat, you know. Um, oh, that's great. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, but just these stories of like, good Lord, how right. does somebody survive that, you know? Yeah. I wonder, did she, she must have talked about things her parents said to her. Help her get through it. Yeah. A lot of it was about um, like her parents really tried to warn her and describe what was going to happen, but she was only six. So right. she really didn't have any sense of like, like they would say, you're going to be safe. The federal, you know, the, these federal agents took her to school every day right. in, a, yeah. in an armored car. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you're going to be safe, but it might be scary. And she was thinking like, it'll be scary because I won't know all the other kids. Like she, you know, right. there's sort of no way to prepare her for the scale of how bad. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. So and that then- was, uh, Sorry, go ahead, please. Sorry. Yeah, well, then they, you know, the the dad sort of toward the, um, right before she actually started school, um, decided, you know, this is too scary. We don't want anything bad to happen to her. We're not going to, we're not, we're pulling out. We're not going to do it. And the NAACP sent people to their house to talk, talk them into doing it and to give them yeah, all yeah. the support and guards and money and, you know, things that they needed. So she, yeah. It, she really was this little tiny child, like represented yeah. these huge crazy. Events. Oh my god, so crazy! It's for crazy. a child to carry all that on her shoulders. Um, yeah, Whew. and then she met Barack Obama, and and, and he said, "Thank yeah. you for, um, you know, thank you for everything you did. I probably wouldn't be here if you if you hadn't been so brave." And I guess that was like. She said that made it all worth it. That was the the pivotal moment in her life to see how far she had helped people come, you know? Yeah. I, um, there must be, over the years, there, uh, there has to have been probably more than one attempt at a project about a film on her life. 
Someone no, might, I, I, nothing sticks out to me though, you know, as far as yeah, I don't think it's happened, but I'm saying I'm sure people have taken that on. It just hasn't worked out. It's so hard to Boy, talk about a good one woman show. Boy. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you should write that, Hockey. <laughs> she's she I just whew, like reading an interview with her, she's just so like matter of fact about it. I mean, I just feel like it I would be like. 40 years ago, people were terrible to me and I am still upset. <laughs> and she's yeah. Just like, yeah, probably would be too. <laughs> oh, I am, I am petty. She is not petty. <laughs> or at least she knows not to be petty in interviews, maybe. <laughs> well, the other, well, the other thing about it is she, uh, you know, she accomplished what, what they accomplished, all of them, her family, her, yeah. people, her, it was a success. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's still plenty of racism in Louisiana and Seattle and everywhere else in the world. But, oh, it's, it's awful. But um, but yeah, I mean, she at the first year, she was the only child, black child in her elementary school. And the next right. year there were dozens, you know, I mean, just yeah. after one year, other parents saw that this was possible. And yeah, so they did what they were trying to do. So yeah. I, that's yeah. yeah. But like the principal didn't she got really, really, really good grades. And the principal kept trying to get the teacher to lower her grades because he didn't think a black kid could really be that good of a student. And that's mm. the kind of stuff now you think, you know, that probably still happens. Like, oh, like sorry, you. but like. It's called, it's called the soft tyranny of low expectations. Oh, it's yeah. a big thing. It's a big okay. thing in school. Um, okay. Folks, teachers assume that ki poor kids, black kids, or whatever other circumstance just aren't going to do right. as well, so they yeah, don't ask as much. Yeah, it, that's a big problem, actually. Yeah, yeah. kids really do live up to your expectation. I think. I mean, if you don't expect much, they're not going to give you much. They're not going to. Yeah, that's right. So if you see a teacher, um, I was lucky. Uh, teachers saw some potential intelligence in me and actually put me forward for things, but that doesn't always happen. Not at all. And I mean, a lot of it is also like how I presented. Both my parents had college degrees. My mother has yeah. a master's. So I was speaking, quote unquote, good English. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, and all that. So, so, so a lot of it is how you present. Mm. I mean, if you if you don't do that, and I'm not blaming the children because that's this is a cultural oh, teacher. Oh, of course not. This is an adult should, problem. Right. Yeah, teachers should know better. But that that is something that happens. People sort of, you know, if you lock into their stereotype, if you just fit into that, then they get, attach all the other negatives that they have. Yeah. With that. If you don't, then you have a better chance of escaping that access. I mean, it's so, it's not the kids' responsibility to educate themselves. No, absolutely not. And then, you yeah. Know, is there a story that has come back to you again and again in your life as something that brings all? Return of the Jedi, the last of the original trilogy, came out in May of uh, 1983. I was not quite 12 years old. I was 11. And uh, and Dad decided to come with me. He decided to take me. He was going to take me to see uh, the movie. I guess Mom wasn't really interested in seeing it. At that time, remember, there was no such thing as internet and buying all this stuff and get your tickets in advance that way. So we went down there to stand in line like everybody else. We went to this place called Greenbrier Mall it's in Chesapeake. And so we got in line. Now, we had grossly miscalculated. And we got there about 1, 1.30. And we figured we'd get in to see the movie in two or three hours. 
we ended up seeing like the 1130 show. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was absolutely fantastic. It was, it was me and my dad spending the whole day together in line waiting to see this movie about like this ultimate sort of father and son conflict and atonement reconciliation thing. But the thing is, you know, you go and see that movie and then you see it with your father as, as an 11 year old and the end of it where they're together and, 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 uh, and I'll never forget that moment in theater when Darth Vader picks up the empire emperor and throws him over the edge to save his son's life. And um, I actually choke up a little bit thinking about it still. Um, and the audience applaud. They, every, every, you know, it's just the audience just cheering wildly. Yeah. And um, not too long after that, my dad's life went off the rails. And uh, oh, dear. That was the last time I ever had a chance to spend that kind of time with him wow. in, that sort of, in that sort of situation. I saw him. He was still a part of our lives. He got into uh, into drugs and depression. Yeah. Which, what, probably 40 years later, he finally got past. Wow. Um, but... You know, it's changed. That that changed him. It changed us. Changed our whole family. It changed our relationship. Changed me. Yeah. So that sort of moment in time was and 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 is and always will be something sort of something precious. Absolutely. Um, yeah. To me, that was just an amazing day. Absolutely, the perfect day with your dad that yeah. didn't know then was going to be one of the few, the few perfect days you were going to have with him. That that's right. There was uh, n- neither of us had any idea at the time that that, yeah. that was going to be uh, one of the last, really the last time we had a chance to just spend a day together like that. I saw him plenty after that. I took him to a baseball game once when he was older and all that. But it's just not it's not the same. Yeah. Um, you know, cocaine, crack. These things change people. Sure. Yeah. And uh, addiction. My dad died nine years ago, so. I just I mean, remember your dad at your the picture of your dad at your wedding in that old car, that's that great right. car, and he looked so happy. He just oh my god, static like just one thing my dad never have been happier. Oh, one thing my dad never forgot how to do was to have was having a good time. Oh, oh my yeah, god. he's having fun. Yeah, and when he came out here for the wedding, he enjoyed himself like nobody. Oh my God. And that was great. That was it. Cause it, yeah, it was, it's kind of a thing here to hire one of those vintage cars. It was a beautiful car. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I loved it. So it was great. Uh, and he, we we're at, we're, we're outside the church. We just had the ceremony, people getting together to take pictures, turn around and there's dad behind the wheel. He's all, he stuck right in there. Yeah. That's right. Yep. <laughs> I'm just going to take it for a little spin. Yeah. He, that was awesome. <laughs> Well, he just had he had so much fun while he was good at having fun. Oh, good! And he just had such a great time while he was here. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Haki. I really appreciate it. Take care of yourself. You too. This was fun. 
Thanks for listening to All in All. New episodes drop every Sunday morning. So come on back and see us. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe. All in All is a production of Punk Dog Studios. And the music is by Thomas Landis. Host is Kate Landis.